Chris Michelson back at General Counsel this past year um, in, uh, in Orlando and had a chance to meet him. Uh, standing alongside of him was Tim Enlow, one of our dear friends from way back. And, and Tim said, hey, you guys really need to get to know each other. And, and uh, so we, got, we began to talk. Uh, Chris Michelson trained under, I'm going to drop a couple of names so that you'll maybe make a connection. Um, Reinhard Bonnke. And Reinhard Bonnke's protege, Michael Kalenda, and Michael Kalenda's ministry, uh, Chris uh, was uh, Michael Kalenda's assistant for uh, a few years, and now he's launched out on his own. So uh, we're excited to have him here with us. I want you to bring, you know, some people that maybe looked a lot like you before you knew Jesus and bring them. People that needed Jesus just as desperately as you do, bring them. People that don't have it all together, people whose kids are rebellious, people that have, you know, drinking problems, eating problems, hang-ups, habits. Oh, yeah, kind of a little bit like us, but bring them, right? So uh, let's, let's just see what the Lord will do. And uh, so I'm um, in prayer for these meetings. I'm looking forward to them. I'm probably going to kick in a little bit of fasting between now and then. After all, it is before Thanksgiving. Best time to fast before Thanksgiving, right? Anyway, just a thought. But, um, but seriously, we, we want to see people come to the Lord. And uh, I believe uh, the Lord has sent Chris to us for such a time as this. And looking forward to hearing the, the testimonies of the things that God is doing um, through his ministry. So uh, let's uh, prepare uh, for giving today. I'm going to invite our ushers to come down, and we're going to uh, put up our offering confessions today. So let's just go ahead and put those up there, and let's uh, speak the word over these offerings at the same time. Uh, yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, LeaderCast 2015, that takes us back, doesn't it? We got it. We know got it. All right. You got it? Yes, we got it. All right. So everybody out loud with me. As we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, Expenses decrease, blessings and increase. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we give today, Lord, we are partnering with you in the eternal work that you do, you're doing in this world that men and women and children might find Jesus in the earth. Lord, we're here to hold out the word of life. And Lord, though the gospel costs us, uh, costs you everything, it costs us nothing to receive it, Lord, because somebody else paid the price. And so, Lord, as we give today, help us to keep in mind the, the, the gospel that we have to carry and we have to shine the light of here in our community. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, bless this offering. Amen. God bless you as you give today. I um, want to remind you of uh, things that are in your notes. Uh, the, the notes are there in your uh, seat. They're also on version. If you're, uh, if you're in, of the digital age and you want to use your phone, you can go into version events, and all of our notes are there. There are uh, several announcements, but I'm only going to make a mention of a couple of them. Right on the horizon, we have our fall festival that's happening. I hear we are 50% there on our candy. That means our candy hall is about 250 pounds. 
pounds. We need about 500 pounds. That's not how much you're going to weigh after you eat all that candy. We're giving it away, right? Give it away. So do yourself a favor. Go buy a bag of candy that you would love to have at your home and bring it to Lighthouse, and we'll give it away for you. Okay, so that way you're, it's, not, it's not being added to your waistline. And uh, so uh, we can use help with that. Then next Sunday is our, our uh, 9 a.m. service. We will not have an 8 o'clock. We will not have a 10 o'clock. We'll have a 9 o'clock service. That's right. Fall back. So we're falling back to our 9 o'clock service, pancake breakfast right here. We're just going to have some time together and uh, enjoy one another's fellowship, enjoy one another's company. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've discovered through the years is that you really don't know Lighthouse if you just show up on Sunday morning. No, no, uh, no uh, offense to anybody that Sunday morning is your only gig here at Lighthouse. But what I'm saying is you really need to get to know the people because the stories of God's grace that are sitting all around you in this room are amazing. But if you don't ever have time to stop and hear their story, you miss out. And so I just want to encourage you to, to uh, indulge in a little fellowship next week. And uh, we're going to have a good time together. The whole uh, uh, purpose behind that, obviously, is with Fall Festival that's happening, our re regular Wednesday night service. Uh, we're inviting people to come out on Wednesday night to help us prep for, uh, for the Fall Festival on the 31st. And uh, probably, you know, close to 100 volunteers. And we'll have over 1,000 people from Gloucester County and, and the surrounding area to be here. We'll have a chance to just uh, just practice hospitality and love on them and have a good time with them. So we're looking forward to that. But then on the third, this is an opportunity to bring them back and uh, see what we do on a regular Sunday morning. So uh, though it'll be a little bit different, uh, uh, pancake and syrup wise, right? Right? Next time, maybe it'd be waffles for Jesus, Pastor Daniel. You've been trying waffles for Jesus. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah we're, we're slow on the uptake on that. That was, a, that was a word. So today I'm finishing up our giant series. I'm, I'm talking today about taking action over fear, taking action over fear. I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive about these words. I want to mention this to you. Last week, we talked about taking authority over your tongue. We talked about from James how that no man can tame the tongue. But when I choose the Lord to yield my tongue to God, then, then God can actually direct the course of my life rather than me directing the course of my life, which, you know, there is a way that seems right to a man and the end thereof is death. I think I read that somewhere. And, uh, and so we want the Lord to to direct our lives, right? And, uh, and so we talked about taking authority over the tongue last week. You can get it on the podcast. Uh, but, uh, but what I want to talk to you to, to, about today is how to take action against fear, over against fear. How to take action. Because here's the thing about fear. You can't say, in 1985, I took authority over fear and I've never had a fear again. <laughs> Fear's not static. Fear's dynamic. Fear is fear comes at us every day in those uh, in those headlines that uh, that are pervasive in our email boxes or watching the news. Fear is part of the world that we live in, and so how do you take action against it? What should you do as a Christ follower that says, you know what? I know how to battle fear because the Bible shows me how to battle fear, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. 
Now, just in a minute, uh, I'm going to have you stand and we're going to read the text together. It's only seven verses, so it won't take us long, but I want to set it up so that you have an understanding of what's taking place. Our, our reading today is out of 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are what are known as the pastoral epistles, and they're all written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, in, in 1 Timothy and in Titus, Paul spends most of his time instructing these young leaders about how they can be the, the pastor that God wants them to be. He tells them how to to uh, how to uh, raise up leaders in the church. He talks about qualifications for elders and deacons and, and talks to them about different things as it relates to the church itself. But by the time 2 Timothy comes around and Paul writes 2 Timothy, Paul's circumstances have changed significantly. Now he's not spending a lot of time talking to them about their vocation. Now he is more singular in his focus because Paul knows that just in a few days, he is going to lay his neck on a chopping block and he's going to lose his life for the gospel. And so here is a warrior of the faith. Here is the man, the apostle Paul, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he has one thing on his mind and that is his son in the faith that is going to see a day that he'll never see. And he wants to instruct him in some things that he needs to understand for the future. Now, the reason that this is important is because this is a personal letter to, from Paul to Timothy, but it has great application for us in our lives. Paul understood that Timothy was a young man that, uh, that had a, a lineage of faith that was in his, uh, on his mother's side. It was his grandmother and his mother that imparted a lot of Timothy's understanding of the faith to him. His dad is kind of out of the picture. We know his dad is a Greek, but we don't know much about him as far as his, uh, his faith is concerned. But Paul becomes Timothy's father according to the gospel. He is a, Paul is, is Timothy's spiritual father. Now we understand that a, that a man's identity, a lot of what he understands about his identity, he gets from his father. Well, Timothy's uh, birth father is kind of uh, in the background. We don't really see a whole lot. But Paul sees some things in Timothy. How many of you know your dad can call you out like nobody else can? Like your dad knows the deal with your life, right? Your dad knows what's it. And some of you, you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my dad can get my goat better than anybody else I know. I'm telling you what, you know, I love my dad. My dad and I, uh, we talk just about every weekend. And, but I can sit with, I, I can be in the house with him for about uh, three hours. And already he's starting to get my goat. Why is that? Because in a lot of ways, we're so much alike. Uh, but he sees the same things that I see. Like if I have a piece of trim that's out of, out of whack at my house and my dad's at my house, he's going to call me out on it. Son, why don't you fix that piece of trim? Son, I know what's wrong with the toilet. You know, why don't you go fix that? I mean, it's just the way he, it's the way he does things. And I'm like, Dad, I know it's there. Leave me alone. You know, that's what I want to say. And, uh, and so anyway, we have fun with that, and we've worked together through the years. But, but Paul knows some things about Timothy, and he talks about them in the Scriptures. We know that Timothy um, is, uh, rather than being uh, assertive, Timothy can let people walk on him. Timothy might let uh, people who are older than him or older than him in the Lord, he might get them to, you know, he might let them, uh, you know, kind of dominate him a little bit. Um, Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And, and so he also, we also know that Timothy probably had maybe a little bit of a weak physical constitution because uh, Paul tells him at one point in the scriptures, take a little wine for your stomach because of your frequent illnesses. We know that Timothy 
maybe wasn't as assertive as he should have been. And, and so Paul instructs him in some things. Now, uh, so as we understand a little bit more about what's going on there, let's, uh, let's take my, you're going to be sitting for a few minutes. Go ahead and stand with me right now. We're going to read uh, together what Paul exhorts his son Timothy in the faith. But I want you to hear it uh, for your own life as well. You ready? Let's, uh, let's put our, our best proclamation voice on. <clears throat> you ready? I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to see uh, that Paul starts out with Timothy by reminding him of his connection with Paul, by reminding him about times that they have shared together, and he stirs up in his mind these remembrances. First of all, Paul's talking about how he remembers Timothy and how he's just, it's touching, isn't it? How he talks to him about, I'm remembering. He said, I just recall the sincere faith that's in your heart. And he talks about their relationship with one another. And he says, Timothy, here's what I know about you. Timothy, you've got the goods. You've got the goods. I know it because I know this faith lived in your grandmother lived in your mother, and I see the same thing in you. Now, Paul is reminding Timothy about his, uh, his lineage, but he also tells us about his own. He says, I serve God with a clear conscience just as my forefathers did. Here's the thing I want you to see from the text this morning. You need to realize that the faith you have used to live in somebody else's heart and mouth. That you are part of, you have spiritual lineage that was, it was handed down to, from one person to the next person to the next person. And that the faith that you have is not your own. In America, we love our rights. In America, we love to talk about our rights and what we have. But you know what? You and I have no copyright on the gospel. The gospel is God's gospel. The gospel is God's gospel, and he chose to include you the, the, the minute you chose to believe. You took a hold of something that was bigger than you, and you don't own it. In fact, it belongs to the next person along the line. It belongs to the next person that's going to hear the message. Why? Because we know that Jesus paid for everybody. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so every person's soul has already been paid for. There's just a lot of people that don't know it yet. 
And we are possessing a treasure that belongs to other people. Here's the thing that Paul, uh, that I want you to see. Remembering your faith existed in somebody else's heart and mouth, I, there ought to be some names attached to the, the gospel that, that uh, you and I know. Here, here let me, uh, let's have some fun for a minute. I want you to tell me the name of five different sermons that have impacted your life for God. In 20 seconds, I want you to think of those five sermon titles, five sermon titles that have impacted your life for God. Ready? Go. That's it. We're done. Okay. So, so five, five sermon titles. Five sermons, it's hard to do. Now, I want you to, in the same amount of time, I want you to think about five names or faces that have impacted your life for God. Can you do it? Yeah. Much easier. What's that mean? That means that faith is, yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, but it's, it's through the lives of people that faith is transmitted. Somebody had to speak it. Somebody had to live it. And somebody had to influence your life for God. And if they didn't influence your life for God, you wouldn't have what you have right now. It's easy for me to think about my, my grandmother, Goldie Kaiholtz, who used to say, uh, the, my earliest recollection is like six or seven years old, but she was probably saying it earlier. It's just that it, I connected it with apple pie at that time, and then it really made sense to me. She said, Kenny, God's got a great plan for your life, as she stuck that other uh, piece of apple pie under my nose. And, and so she would talk to me about Jesus. My, that was my grandmother. Then two ladies, uh, Julia Hines and Ann Neely, witnessed to me in, in uh, Burcliff Manufacturing. I was 17 years old, was far from God. And, uh, and two ladies began to talk to me about my soul and gave me a book called More Than a Carpenter. That's how I got to know the Lord was through this book. And uh, then Rick Burnett, who is actually a Baptist missionary today, but back then uh, Rick was just a single guy trying to figure out life, uh, but he was, uh, he was raised in a, a godly home, and he taught me the Bible. He was my first Bible coach. We got some Bible coaches around here, right? Uh, Rick Burnett made a difference in my life because he sat down with me, and he told me, this is a Bible. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. We went up in the mountains in North Carolina and the Western Carolina, and we just walked Walked around. Rick taught me how to pray. You know, there are people that impact your life for God. If I'm ever struggling with temptation, can I tell you, I don't want to let the people down that pass the gospel to me. I don't want to drag it in the mud. I don't want to drag the name of Jesus down. But a lot of times, it's easier, it's, it's more significant for us to remember the people that have impacted our life for God than just God. Well, God will forgive me. Yeah, but I don't want to have to tell that person that I'm not living for God. Because they invested something in me. Remembering your faith once existed in someone else's mouth is, is, how, uh, is how you take action over fear. This is where it starts. Secondly, remembering your faith is rooted in the grace of God, revealed to us through the bold courage of Jesus Christ himself. That's what Paul is saying there in the latter parts of that verse. He's saying, you got this from Jesus. The gospel didn't, what didn't exist before uh, the time of Christ. But then after Christ, Paul is the, is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, in these last days, this message has been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. You don't have any weak lineage in your life. 
You don't, the root of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? No man takes my life from me. I lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again. No man takes my life from me. The circumstances didn't dictate that Jesus would lay down his life. Jesus chose, willingly chose to live boldly for you. Willingly chose to go to the cross for you. The boldness of Jesus Christ is in your lineage. That same, that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. There's no weakness in him. There's no timidity in him. This is why Paul says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All the way back to the source, you can trace your genealogy back and there is not one weak bone in the mix. Boldness. Boldness for God. Courage for God. So here's how you learn to take action and you nurture it. You nurture, uh, taking action over fear is nurtured by submission to people over you and the Lord. Can I just tell you, submission gets a bad rap. I just did a wedding yesterday and I read the submission scripture and I could feel the room go, ooh. Wives submit, ooh. Our culture doesn't understand it though. Our culture doesn't understand. An, uh, an ungodly culture doesn't understand the principle of submission, heart submission to God, heart submission. Can I tell you that this goes all the way back to Jesus too? You've heard me say this before, but for those of you that are new, that Jesus himself submitted, uh, Jesus submitted himself to the ordained ministry of the day in John the Baptist. Think about it. Jesus created John, Right? By him, all things were created, things in earth and under the earth. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus created John the Baptist, and yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, he places himself under John's ministry and said, I need you to baptize me. And John said, you got it backwards. I need to be baptized by you. He said, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had no problem submitting himself because he knew it was the Father's will. Authority in the kingdom always flows through submission. It never flows through rebellion. And so if we are people that have committed our lives to the Lord, we have a heart of submission to the Lord. God will place people over us for our good. I have authority in this house not to tear you down, but only to build you up. I have authority to make disciples. That means I build you up. That's my job. That's my role. That's my authority. I have no authority to do anything else. But I can't disciple you unless you're willing to submit because you've chosen to do what you want to do rather than the direction that the Lord wants us to, to go. Submission is a heart issue on the inside, a, a heart issue that says, I willingly place myself under. I willingly place myself under. You know, and uh, I've had leaders tell me, and I've, and I've instructed people who have gone here and gone to other schools, gone to other places. I said, the first thing you do when you go, as you go find that pastor, you're going to sit under him. You go talk to that. This is particularly for people that, that want to pursue the Lord for ministry. I said, you go find that pastor. You sit in his office and you say, if you see anything in my life that is not of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I give you the opportunity to call me out on it. If, if I'm not living the way I need to be according to the scriptures, then I'm asking you to speak into my life so that I don't waste my time, so that I don't spin my wheels, 
if my life doesn't measure up to the gospel, then you please, please rebuke me. Please correct me. Can you see how that undermines everything that the devil wants to do in somebody's life? How that just, just takes the, the worry out of the whole mess. If a person says, I'm already submitted to your leadership. If you tell me that I need to do something, then I'm going to do it. If it doesn't violate scripture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Can you understand how that works? And see, God doesn't work according to rebellion. And there's a lot in our, in our culture. The, the biggest challenge our culture has with, uh, with discipleship is that everybody thinks they have rights. Now, I'm joking, but you do have rights according to the United States government. But Jesus laid down his rights. If I want lordship, I'm not contending for my rights. I've taken all my rights and placed them under his lordship. Ooh, we're having fun with this this morning, aren't we? <laughs> in, in order to grow, there, see, there's no, there's no, there's no discipleship without, uh, without accountability and submission. It just doesn't work. Why? Because the area that I need somebody to speak into the most is the thing I'm going to try to hide and cover up. That's where I desperately need the help. But if I'm not in submission, then somebody's, uh, I'm not giving somebody opportunity to speak into my life. Just a thought. Let's just keep going. Um, stirring up of the existing gifts within yourself. The reason that this takes action against fear is because this causes us to be able to work with the tools and the gifts that God put down on the inside of, of us, okay? The, the Bible says that everything we have need of for life and for godliness, he has already given to us in the promises of God, right? God has invested in you what you need to do everything Jesus says that you can do. Everything that you can be, he has already put it down on the inside of you. It's already there. In other words, Jesus said it this way. He said, when, when people say the kingdom is over there, don't believe them. And if they say the Messiah is over there, don't believe them. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. If you've got Jesus Christ on the inside of you, you'll recognize that God actually has two addresses. He has one, he dwells in the high and lofty place, but also with him who's broken and contrite of heart. He has two addresses, in your heart, right, and in the heavens. And, and so you and I recognize that what we have need of is down on the inside of us. Now what happens a lot of times when we find ourselves in a tough spot is we pick up the phone and we call somebody, I don't know what to do. And we bypass the counselor, the comforter. We bypass the spirit of truth. They might have the spirit of truth, but you know what? You need to learn what the spirit of truth sounds like on the inside of you. you why? Because, you know, uh, dial 1-800-PREACHER may not be on the other, uh, may not be on the call list, you know, when you need it. You need to know what the voice of the Lord sounds like on the inside of you. Can I, can I tell you? You know, uh, so, so you and I need to learn to stir up the gift of God on the inside of us. We need to realize that what God has put down on the inside of us is more than enough for any challenge that we're going to experience. And so Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God is in you. How do I I know it's in you because I laid my hands on you. Timothy, I was right there with you and we were praying. And you remember that prophetic word that was spoken over you when I laid hands on you? Do you remember what happened when the elders were all standing around? That was a God moment. And I want you to remember that what got, in, what got released in you in that moment, what got imparted to you in that day is still in your life today. It didn't wander off. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are his house. He abides in you. 
And I'm reminding you of things you already know. When, you, when that hits your ear, it's like dull. Yeah, Pastor Ken, I know that. No, do you know? Like, do you know? Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you? And that everything you have need of, maybe you just need to fan that into flame. Maybe you've been playing too much the fear game and playing hopscotch with fear because you haven't fanned into flame the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Maybe you've been pampering that spirit of fear, but Paul calls it out right there and he said, God, that, that fear didn't come from God. That spirit of fear didn't come from God. God, God hasn't given us the spirit, power, love, and of a sound mind. Now, that's King James. We're, we're talking from NIV, so it's self-discipline. But power and of love and of a sound mind. So let's, let's go into that. Stirring up the existing gifts within yourself. Can I just pause here for a second and, uh, and mention something to you that I, I, I got in prayer yesterday. Um, these are some things that I think when it comes to the spirit of fear, that uh, this is what, where we find ourselves. Uh, I, I want to exhort you for a minute. Don't be on the bench when he wants you in the field. Some of us are letting other people play our game. We're, we're standing on the sidelines and God is tr doing his level best to try to get us out there. But the spirit of fear is causing us to shrink back. A little. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should. Maybe I need to. And sometimes it looks like wisdom. But it's just fear that's masquerading. It's just allowing you to have justifications why you're not more bold. Here's a thought. Don't be retired when he wants you refired. Don't settle for less when he wants you to believe for more. Don't settle for a C life when, you, uh, when God has made you an A++. Don't settle for average. Don't settle for, for something that just, oh, that seems like the logical. Have you consulted the Holy Spirit? Not always is everything logical that God does, right? Doesn't make sense, some of the things that he does. Some of the people that he gets to do what he wants done are not the logical people that we would look at and say, oh, yeah, that guy's got, he's got all the pedigree of everything to do this, that to... Uh, the last thing I want before we go in here, I want you to get a hold of this thought. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. I think I got that out of something Mark Batterson wrote somewhere, and so not, not uh, uh, official with me. Bold prayers honor God. God honors. Sometimes our prayer lives get answered because we prayed really weak prayers. Lord, I pray that I would sleep eight hours tonight. Now, if you only ever sleep one hour, maybe eight hours is beautiful, but I pray that I would be able to sleep eight hours. Well, that's not exactly a mountain moving. And then you wake up, thank you, Lord, I slept eight hours. Boldness. Bold prayers honor God. Like, what if, if, you, if you set out to do something, honoring God with a bold prayer, and you actually achieved it, and you suddenly realize in the midst of that, you know what? There is no way that I could have gotten here except God. It, people would look at you and say, it's obvious you didn't do this. It's obvious that it didn't happen. How did that happen? You just say, God. Bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. What if our prayers are not being answered because they're too small? What if our prayers are not being answered because we haven't allowed God to speak into them because we haven't fanned into flame the gift of God that's on the inside? Is this a prayer that's worthy of God? 
Is this a, is this a vision worth giving my life for? Is this something, I, I often ask this question that's been in the church for many years, is, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? What you're living for, what, what you can put down on your life, this is what I'm living for. Is that really what, all that Jesus died for? Is that really everything that he died for, or is there more? And if there's more, then how come you're not praying that more yet? How come you haven't gotten bold about that? You say, well, I don't quite know how to do that. Well, here's a secular book that will maybe give you an idea uh, just, to, just to get you that sinking feeling in your heart. Okay, now I know what I'm talking Grant Cardone wrote a book called 10X. And in it, Grant Cardone, he's, he's a motivational speaker, owns a number of businesses, but here's what he says. He says, basically, most people think too small, live too small. So he said, you just got to put a 10X next to everything, every metric that you're thinking. So if I wanted, to, if I wanted my business to do 10,000 a month, what would I have to be in order to hit 100,000 a month? And, and you put a 10X next to that. That's the kind of boldness we're talking about. Now, I'm not talking about presumption. But what I am saying is, it, you know, God help us if we get to the end of this thing and we stand before Jesus and, and we looked at what we could have had and looked at what we have and we realized that we lived way too small. Well, it's going to be a little too late then, isn't it? Because the, the, the tally is already going to be in. It's already over. What if God said somewhere along the line, uh, somewhere along the line, ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. But you said in your own way of thinking, I only need enough for myself and my kids, maybe a little for the grandkids. Well, what if God wanted you to have grandkids from Ecuador? What if God wanted you uh, to, to pay for the salvation of a nation because you learned to ask for the nations as your inheritance and you began to believe God? You know, uh, what, if, what if God wants you to have some Ugandan children that you have paid for and prayed for and believed God for and you have spiritual sons and daughters in Uganda, spiritual sons and daughters in other nations because you believe God wanted you to do something more? God can pour more through you than he could ever do just in you. He wants to multiply through your life your, the impact of the gospel through your life. He wants to do amazing things through you. You don't believe me, though. I can tell. You don't really believe me. You believe me? All right, praise God. Man, this is so, you know, bold prayers honor God. And can I tell you, we're not going to get what we don't pray for in the kingdom. This is how it works. Some people are just really laissez-faire when they, well, whatever God wants, that's what he'll give me. Let me tell you, that it takes no faith to believe that. That's fatalism. It takes no faith to just say whatever will be, will be. God says we've got to be those people that take his promises and say, okay, let me take this promise of God and let me translate this. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door shall be opened. You want to knock on little doors? You'll get little openings. You want to knock on big doors? You'll get big openings. You get the opportunity to choose what kind of prayers you pray. And I want to pray those prayers that everybody else stands back. They're already doing it. They're looking at Lighthouse. They're looking at this vision for Legacy Springs, and they're saying, yeah, sure. It's big. It's beyond us. But so was Little Lights when we started it. But now it's a bygone conclusion. Oh, yeah. 
You should, be, you should have a child care that's three times the size of anything else in the, in the county, and it has seven buses and five bus routes. Yeah, you should have thought of that in 1999. We didn't. We just prayed and said, Lord, we're going to say yes because we believe that there are families that need care for their kids, and we want to provide something for that. You know, big prayers, bold prayers. What, how are you praying boldly? How can you pray more boldly? Here, uh, let's just hit these, uh, these uh, power, love, and, and self-discipline. Let me talk to you about that, and then we'll get into our action steps. Um, Power here means the abilities given for service to the gospel and to others. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. That's the promise of God. Now, we know that word is the word dunamis, but the best translation is not dynamite, though they have similarity. You know, uh, oh, I want to bless you. Here's some dynamite. I don't know that I, don't know that I would see that as a blessing. I, I would see, like, I think I'm going to drop that and run, you know. But, uh, the, but, but dynamic power simply means, dynamic means that whatever you need at that moment, moment you will have it when the holy spirit comes upon you and you encounter a need whatever you have need of in that moment you will have the ability you will have access to the power to get that thing done and so how does this work so when you encounter a situation and you say i'm not sure exactly what needs to happen here and you stand here and i like mark geppert's phrase park the ark and leave the motor running uh you are you are the ark of the covenant in the new testament so you stand there and you pray in tongues you pray in english you pray uh, according to the spirit of god that's what we're going to talk about here in a second pray in the spirit you pray in the spirit holy spirit what do you want to do right now i see this need but that need doesn't intimidate you looks a little scary to me at the moment but I refuse to give in to fear and I'm just going to stand here and pray I'm going to pray have you ever prayed and you realize that something came out of your mouth and actually never went through your mind have you ever had that happen Okay, thank you, the three of you that that's happened to, that, uh, because now I don't feel like a wacko, though I feel like a wacko most of the time, but I'm a wacko for Jesus. Who's wacko are you? I'm going to be a wacko for Jesus. I'll just be a fool for Jesus. That's okay. And so I'll stand at something, and I'll pray, and suddenly I'll pray something. Something comes up out of my spirit that I never thought. I never sat there and thought it before I prayed it. I just prayed it, and then I wanted to take notes on it. Whoa, what was that? What was that? And you know what you're doing? You're praying in the Spirit. Now, it might have been in English, but you were praying in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit connected you with a promise, connected you with a solution, and you prayed the ability to do whatever was necessary in that moment. You had thoughts that, that begin to emerge that you didn't have before. Why, why is that? It's because God puts a spirit of power and a spirit of love in you. Why? Because selfishness leads to fear, but love leads to self-sacrifice. Paul reminds Timothy of his love for him, and he says, don't be ashamed of me, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, and don't be ashamed of me, the Lord's prisoner. You know, probably really nasty negative stuff had been coming out about the apostle Paul. You know, the press was probably all about how this guy is just, he's, he's uh, a detriment to the county. He's public enemy number one. They're, they're, they're probably talking all this stuff. And here's his son in the faith. And that's his hero. He remembers Timothy from the times, uh, Timothy remembers Paul from the times when, when they had walked together and, and, and Paul had prayed and, and, and Timothy watched God use Paul and all of these kind of things were happening and, and Paul has to remind Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me. 
You're going to have seasons where following the Lord is in vogue, and you're going to have seasons where following the Lord, is, you're, just going to, you're just going to be the, uh, the biggest butt crack of, uh, of anybody. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> anyway, whew, glad I got that out of the way. And uh, you, you're, you're going to be the butt of everybody's jokes. You're gonna, they're going to they're gonna look for a reason to have a laughing stock, and it's going to be Christians. It's going to be people of faith. They're going to look at you, and they're going to say, oh, you got nothing. You, got, you don't know anything. But you have to know in whom you have believed, and you have to be persuaded. And you know what? Don't, let, don't make those times make you shrink back and self-protect. Because if you shrink back and self-protect, fear is just going to overtake you. You're going to, you're, you know, the, the natural tendency is not to love people. You got to be supernatural and go love people. You got to be people, you got to be self-sacrificing. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. What does that mean? Sometimes you just got to get over yourself. Sometimes you got to get over yourself. You know what's going to happen? People are going to get saved that you didn't like. Oh, that'll mess with you. <laughs> that bully or that snot is going to get saved. And you're like, I wouldn't have let him in, Jesus. I, don't, I wouldn't have. If it was up to me, I wouldn't have let him in. But he doesn't consult you, and he doesn't consult me. Thank God for that. Whosoever will come. And so... He puts a spirit of love in our hearts. He puts a spirit of love, that compassion for people. Self-discipline. To be sober and sound-minded means that our lives are in, in order and under control. You know, sometimes the greatest hindrance to people coming to Christ are Christians whose lives are out of control in some area or another. That our witness is not what it should be. We haven't we haven't done last week's sermon yet, right? We haven't we haven't taken authority over our tongue. We haven't yielded that most unruly member, and so we just get sucked into whatever the conversation is. If there's gossip going around, we can sense it. Yeah, we'll just jump in with a gossip crowd. If there's slander crowd, we just jump in with a slander crowd. You know, all of those kind of things, and they they come home to roost if you're not careful. Years and years ago, I remember. Holly and I uh, sitting in premarital counseling with Scott and Bonnie Erickson. I remember Bonnie Erickson just saying uh, to Holly, Holly, when, whenever you're sitting with the ladies and one of them starts to talk bad about their husband and then they jump on the bandwagon and one's one, oh, yeah, this one never puts his underwear where it's supposed to. And, and then this one, oh, yeah, mine snores so bad, man, the paint comes off the walls. And, blah, blah, you know, and uh, you know uh, all of these kind of petty little things. She said, don't you ever do that. She said, don't you ever have a husband bashing when all the other ladies are doing it. You're above that. And she just began to exhort her. You know, and I just thank God for that. You know, because Holly has always made a point to respect me in public. That if anybody ever heard anything about Ken Kramer, it's because Ken Kramer shared it. Not because my wife did. Can I just tell you that, uh, that uh, here's an, a simple, quick definition of gossip, and, and, and if you hold to this definition, definition of gossip, it'll keep you uh, from, from falling prey to what our culture does. If you are part of the problem or part of the solution, you can talk about it. But if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, don't even bother with that conversation. 
Think about it. Think about it. Our, our culture in politics exists on gossip, slander, and innuendo. If you took away those three things, they would have nothing left to talk about. Turn on, I don't care what news station it would be, it would be beep. You know, there used to be used to be those multicolored things, you know, that when you when you had like analog television and you turned on a channel and there wasn't anything on that night because the channel had gone off the air. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they wouldn't have anything to say. Be like, ah, oh, let's just do another infomercial for some weight loss thing. We've got nothing else to say. How to stir up or fan into flame the gift of God. First of all, boldly pray both in your known language and your spiritual language. I've already touched on this. Let me tell you, you don't want to get into something that you haven't prayed for. You don't want it. You don't need it. How are you going to know if it was God? If you prayed for a red car and a blue one showed up, don't get in the blue one. I mean, can we just be real matter of fact here? You know, you, you, you say, well, Pastor Ken, what's, you know, God knows what's on the inside of your heart. And sometimes in your mind, you do get it mixed up a little bit. But understand what I'm saying, that when you begin to pray something, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He desires to do that. Why? Because when you walk with God, your desires and his desires begin to line up. I don't want anything in, uh, for Holly that Holly doesn't want for herself. Now, sometimes there are things that I want more for my wife than what she wants for herself. She can't see it yet, and that's my job. That's my job. I'm, my job is to, can you, I see this for you. Oh, I don't see it yet. Guess what? A couple years down the line, she'll see it. It's okay. It's, it's the way our relationship works, right? But I don't want anything detrimental. I don't want anything hurtful. And so God gives you the desires of your heart. You shall have your, the, the desires of your heart when God's heart is what you desire. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? You walk with him long enough, and then eventually it's like, yeah. I want what he wants for me. It's not that I'm out here doing my own thing. I want what he wants for me. But you got to boldly pray. Secondly, be moved with compassion for the lost. You say, Pastor Ken, why are you talking about the lost? This isn't a salvation sermon. But it is. It is. Your life and my life are inextricably tied up with the gospel. And the gospel is all about every man, woman, boy, and girl coming to know Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if they speak with tongues. It doesn't matter if they get healed before they die. They need to know Jesus. They need to know Christ. And if we are not compassionate for people that don't know Jesus, then we have forgotten what our lives used to be like before we met him. We have become, uh, far, you know, we, we become nearsighted and blind, the scripture says. We get to the place where we think it's all about us. No, it's not about us. If God wants to bless you, it's only so that you can win more people for Christ. It's only so that you can give more for the gospel. It's only so, and, and you know what, what you'll find is, you know, you start in this, this process with God. You see people come to Christ. You want to give more. You give more. God gives you more to give. He gives you more, uh, uh, more influ influence in other people's life. Why? So you can lead more people to Christ. Have compassion for people that don't know the Lord. For some of us, this, the very practical thing to do is, you know, and you don't have this much in Virginia anymore, but, you know, used to be if you, if you wanted to uh, be a soul winner, just go sit in the smoking section. Because most Christians just avoided it, right? you you got to be willing to overlook the things. What do sinners do? 
sin. That's not sin. I'm not, please don't let me, you know, equate smoking with sinning. But you understand what I'm saying? You've got to overlook the things that people do and love them in spite of the stuff that they do. Because they're only doing what they know to do. I was sitting in a county meeting for Legacy Springs, and, and a, a conversation came up um, about what was happening in Mexico uh, at that time, that there were some people that had found a, a gas pipeline, and they had punctured the pipeline, and they were catching fuel in five-gallon uh, containers, right? And it was just spewing all this fuel, and they're out there, you know. And having been in Uganda and, and watched, uh, uh, you know, watched people in Uganda take a glass bottle to a gas station and pump, ga- pump gas into a glass bottle and it spill all down their hand. And, uh, and then they take that home to whatever to dump in their boda boda, you know, uh, their motorcycle, whatever the case may be. And we look at that under our safety standards in the United States and we look at that and we kind of, kind of, oh, what's the matter with those people? They're, they're bonkers. You know, they're, they're describing in my meeting. They're describing this this Mexico pipeline and how the people have gasoline all over them and and they're laughing and they're and they got these uh, buckets of gas and everything and they don't realize how detrimental it is all this kind of stuff and and I just I said something it was out it was out my mouth before I knew what I was saying it makes perfect sense in their in their situation it makes perfect sense given their conditions given their circumstances it just that's the thing to do. Once you were not the people of God. Once you knew not you had a heavenly father who cared for you. You did everything you could to get through the day. You self-provided. You self-protected. You self-promoted. You didn't care who you stepped on. You didn't care who you lied to or lied with. You didn't care. You were the center of your own universe. That's the way life was for you. You were just going to look after you. You were big number one. You were were the the head honcho. You were all there was. And so you did whatever you needed to do to get through a day. Sometimes that was self-medicating. Whatever the case may be, didn't didn't really matter to you. Why? Because you didn't know God. Makes perfect sense if you don't know God. And you don't know how to get the burden off your soul through asking for forgiveness. You didn't learn how to be uh, gracious and, and, and have gratitude to God for things. And so what did you do when you had something bad happen in your life? Well, I just think I'll go get a fifth. And I'll drink that fifth down. Or, well, hey, praise God. You know, uh, in their minds, now, now uh, weed is legal in parts of the world. So I can, I can, medic, I can self-medicate. I can just check out. You know, with, with this weed, whatever the case may be, it made perfect sense before you knew God, to, before you knew God to sin because you're a sinner, right? Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that people are just trying to get by? They're just trying to figure it out. And some people do that boldly. There are people that sin boldly in a big way. I like Chris Michelson's story. He sounded like he lived boldly for the devil. Some of you used to do that. Let's not forget. Let's not forget that because that's where compassion comes in. And when compassion hits you, miracles are very, very close behind. Every time you see Jesus moved with compassion in the New Testament, there was a miracle that followed it. 
the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion, heals the man with the withered hand. Jesus moved with compassion, opens blinded eyes. Jesus moves with compassion. What, what happens, there's this hookup between the gifts that are on the inside of you and the compassion that God wants to reach through you. And as soon as that happens, you'll watch God use you like, a, like an interstate highway to flood his resource over to that person because God is not willing that any should perish. When he sees that person, he sees a soul. He doesn't see a smoker, a drinker, an adulterer, a liar. He doesn't see any of that. He just sees somebody that he loves and somebody that's lost. Amen? Amen. Lastly this morning, let's stand. Ask the Lord, what kind of person must I become for you to use me to match my prayers? What kind of a person? When you begin to pray boldly, When you really start to put yourself out there boldly and say, you know what, I'm going to burn the bridge behind me and I'm going to say, unless God causes this water for me to walk on, I'm going to drown. And you begin to step your way out there. What kind of a person do you need to be? What kind of a person, what, what is it that you need to do? I heard a man a number of years ago that's very successful in uh, writing, and, and he said there's a prophetic word over him that, uh, that he needed, to, that God was going to use his pen uh, to write things that were going to uh, be amazing. And so, uh, so he said, well, I didn't really see myself that way, but he said what I did in obedience was, he said, I got a notebook and I, I got a, a pen and I just put it on my nightstand. And, and he said, God began waking me up in the middle of the night. He began to write stuff down. And, and he said, I write it down. I go back to sleep. And then the next and he wrote songs and he wrote music and he wrote books and you know he just did the practical things and he became from this word from this place of prayer from praying boldly from receiving this word he became a different person that God could use to match his prayer some of you are frustrated hearing my words today because you haven't prayed boldly enough but you're sick of your identity You're sick of what's going on in your life. Can I say that back up the train a little bit, start praying boldly. And let God fashion you into the person that matches those prayers. Let God fashion you into the answer to that prayer. If that's you, I want you to just step out this morning. We've got folks here to lay hands on you, to pray with you. But if you've been frustrated been frustrated about what's been going on in your in your life you feel like you're stuck in this continual transition you you feel like you're in the washing machine and you just can't oh maybe treadmill's better and uh, but you're on this treadmill and you just can't get off and and i want you to step out from where you're at i want you to come here and believe god let's ask god to put a bold prayer in your lips today let's ask god to help you to stir up the gift of god that's on the inside of you i'm going to ask the leaders to come and just begin to pray for these this morning this uh, this time is for you this time is for you. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to say some things right now uh, as, as we pray over you that are going to be uh, hugely important for, for the days to come. You're going to be able to mark this day down, October 27th, 2019. The Holy Spirit did something in my heart. He did something in my life. He began to shift some things in my life. Come on, step out from where you're at. Step out from where you're at. Come on down this morning. Let's ask God to take us out of that place of transition and move us into the place that he has for us. The scripture says, I love this verse. It says, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter till the full dawning of the day. The path of the righteous, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. 
Father, I pray right now for these, Lord God, that, uh, that their steps seem murky to them. They, they don't feel like they're walking in the light. They don't know what the next step is. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path this morning. We thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, for lighting things up. I thank you, Lord God, for, for uh, releasing the gift of God right now in Jesus' name. Release that anointing, God, by your Holy Spirit. Release the gift of God on the inside of them, Lord God. Father, I pray for an activation of the gifts this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord God, that as people walk out of here, you're gonna begin to use them in words of knowledge, in words of faith, in words of encouragement. Lord, you're gonna give them a word of wisdom, Lord God, a love word, a joy word, a peace word. They're gonna encounter situations that look impossible, but Lord, there's gonna be faith that rise up in their hearts at that moment. God, make them who you want them to be. May their life match the boldness of their prayer, God. God, forgive us for settling for a, a, for a mediocre life when you want us to pray boldly, God. You want us to come boldly before the throne of grace and find help. Jesus, we thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Come on, church. Press in right now. Press in right now. God's putting a 10X on your prayers right now. He's putting a 10X on your prayers. He's showing you that you've been thinking too small. You've been thinking man-sized and God only thinks in God-sized. What's that God-sized dream he's waking up on the inside of you right now? What's that God-sized dream that he's stirring around on the inside of you? What's that thing? He wants you to hold on to that thing.